0: Designer, episode 156. How you doing, Carl? I'm doing well. Seems like we did this just a week ago. Well, yeah, that's how that usually works when you try to do a weekly podcast.
1: Oh, well, yeah, I guess that's right. Um, you know, we're, we're challenged each week to come up with something to say, so uh, what are we talking about this week? Well, I
0: thought we'd start with a couple news items, specifically the news around... Adobe Muse. Now, I personally haven't used Adobe Muse, but you have. So why don't you explain what is, or in the context of what we're going to talk about, what was Adobe Muse?
1: No! All right, so Adobe Muse was the one way that I like to do web design because Adobe Muse was much more of a print designer's approach to web design. Um, Fonts worked... Simply layouts were very easy to create, to implement. You created master page layouts that you applied to sub-pages. And you could create a number of these and then a number of subpage layouts. And you can link it all together. It created the sitemap, it, it exported um, the HTML clearly, and you could just all drag it up to your server and be done. You could even implement, and I never actually did this, updating within a browser so that your client could manage the content and it it maybe was clunky but it was my tool and i enjoyed muse and i'm glad that they're at least giving us a year of support as they try and um moonlight this sunset this program
0: yeah so basically what the news is is as of basically a couple of days ago they made the announcement that Adobe Muse will be discontinued. And basically they're going to do support through actually May 20th of the 2019. So you actually get almost or over two years. Um, Adobe Muse was launched in 2012. And it was the ability to design websites without having to really write code. And I think that was the the premise behind it. The big thing that's interesting with it is they're basically turning to people and saying, okay, we can now go use Adobe XD. And even though Adobe XD doesn't necessarily generate web-ready code, like Muse did, it's an all-in-one solution that allows designers, prototypes, and collaboratives to basically build websites. I don't know about that. I mean, I I haven't really played with XD too much, but I know that anybody I talked to that used Muse really liked it. But, I think what I'm hearing, and I think what the issue is, is that they're having trouble competing with Wix, Squarespace, sites like that that are very much the same thing, like you don't have to know code to be able to put together a website, so there wasn't enough of a group that really liked Muse to keep it in development, so it's unfortunate that they're basically going to ship this off and and not do it, but their solution according to several articles, is to use Adobe Spark page. Have you have you played with the Adobe Spark apps that they have for mobile?
1: You know, I'm barely aware that Spark exists, and I never heard of Adobe XD. I, I didn't even know it was a tool that... I, I knew there were prototyping tools available. I'll have to look at it to see if it is like Muse. Um... It's interesting that they want to compete with the do-it-yourselfers because this whole thing is it's a design-based business, and we bring creative creativity to the uh, to the whole process, which we'll talk about in a little few minutes. But I never heard of Adobe Spark. Uh, Let me know what what that is.
0: So basically, Adobe Spark is their. It's almost like a a series of apps that they developed that were really push towards uh instagram facebook twitter things like that so like i've used adobe spark post to do posts for my instagram and for my facebook and it's it's very easy to use it's very quick it's basically getting a photo overlaying some text manipulating the style of the text being able to do things like that and then adobe spark video was kind of the same idea but for the video side so that was really geared towards the Facebook and the Instagram videos and then according to what I'm seeing, I actually haven't played with Spark Page, but they're saying it actually could build responsive web pages. So that's something that I'm gonna have to go in and play with. I, I don't do a whole lot in the web space, so except for the social media posts that I do. I don't really get into doing in web development or web pages or websites for people. But it is interesting that they're really pushing people towards that that adobe spark family of apps so it'd be interesting to see what happens with that like like anything it's really good that they're gonna have the support until 20 may 20th 2019 i'm curious to see what they're gonna do are they just going to walk away from this area and say we don't really want to to get involved in that i think that's kind of crazy because like you said there's a lot of creatives that are not coders that want to be able to build sites easily and creatively for their clients.
1: Well, I'm I'm wondering a, a couple things. I'm a Creative Cloud subscriber. First off, are they going to uh, turn off the program with its availability? Are they going to eventually pull it? That's one of my questions, because I've got clients that I've built sites for that I'm going to have to find a succession plan for them. The other thing is um, I've heard rumor... I don't even know what this is, and so I'm speaking ignorantly of this topic. But there is something coming down the pike in web design where it's called the Gutenberg um, format or something. And one of my clients said that this is going to break a lot of the uh, WordPress sites that require, like Divi and other types of extensions. So I think it's just a new way to format for mobile. And uh, I bounced that idea off my brother, and he said, basically, it's HTML6. Now, I don't know enough about it to talk to it. I don't know. I just know the name, Gutenberg. So it's something I research or talk to a web expert about.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. It it, it is interesting because there's this whole movement of do-it-yourself websites, like I said, with Wix and Squarespace. and. And they they could be really nice websites, but it's interesting that Adobe didn't want to play in that that realm. Like, I I don't understand, was it really not that much use of it that it was worth shelving and saying, okay, this is not worth using? Like, I'm really surprised by that. Now, the stupid thing is... They're going to give support for two more years. And, and I laughed because the article I read earlier said that, well, you could continue to build sites in Muse for the next two years. And it's like, why would you? You're not going to be able to fix them after May 20th of 2019. So obviously, you're going to walk away from this program at this point and find the next thing to do. Now, I know you said you've actually done some websites with Muse. Mm-hmm. The good thing is it doesn't sound like it just it's not something like if you were on Squarespace and Squarespace went out of business that you'd lose your website the website is still a code so you could actually download that code and you might have to do some tweaking to it to put it up somewhere else but it it's not like Muse is a platform like WordPress or Squarespace it's just an easier way to build. It's a tool. It's an easier yeah, way it's to modular, build a modular. It's
1: a modular tool. It exports uh, CSS, HTML files. Um, and I'm sure there's one proprietary file just so that it can reopen in Muse and format everything correctly. Um, I've never taken a Muse site into Dreamweaver. I don't even know if Dreamweaver still exists, really. Um, yeah, it does. It does. That That's like their, their
0: hardcore coding platform but like it's
1: i i think Muse is still a little too advanced for those do it yourselfers um so that kind of brings me to one of the other things we'll be talking about a little later is creative process but there was another bit of news you wanted to talk about beforehand right
0: yeah there's um it's basically for students um i know that part of the goal of rookie designer is to kind of target newer designers up and coming designers especially ones that are in college and stuff like that well i'm a huge apple fanatic i love apple products i have a lot of apple products True, i laugh I you're shaking your head at me one
1: of um, <laughs> yeah i'm not so, i'm a pc
0: yeah yeah so i just recently bought a ipad pro 10 and a half inch with the pencil and i absolutely love it how much apple just what was that how much? Um, I think I paid. I think I paid about seven hundred dollars for the whole package. So it was. It wasn't. It's not cheap. Apple products aren't cheap. We all know that. But you're about well, to tell us
1: about a cheap option.
0: Yes, and what's really nice is for students, they actually have come out with a nine and a half inch iPad with Apple Pencil support, and it's only two ninety nine for students. So it's a great way to obviously suck in more Apple fan people, and also it's a great way for students. Because I will be honest with you, there's a lot of different tablets out there. There's a lot of different style styli or whatever the hell the plural is for that. Stylus. A lot of different styluses, yeah, <laughs> this is- out there. They they work okay. Now, obviously, Wycom has the market when it comes to. Tablets and and stylus and stuff like that. But for an actual tablet in the sense of something like Apple, I have found a pencil is incredibly accurate, incredibly responsive. And that's something that I know a lot of other ones have trouble with. That when you're drawing a line, that the line doesn't stick close to the stylus. It's still lagging behind. So that's one of the things that I find impressive, about the pencil and about the iPad. So there is there is a new option out there um as of a couple of days ago. The nine nine point seven inch iPad with Apple Pencil support. Now again this is for students to get that discount. But obviously that's still going to be available. I think it's three three twenty nine or three forty nine three twenty nine for non students.
1: You may get a believer out of me on that one. But I'm holding up my little stylus for my Lenovo, which I got on the Amazon truck. I, this stylus, I might as well be drawing with a knuckle. (laughs) Yes. For as accurate as this is. And the Adobe uh, Android programs are pretty much useless unless you're looking for stylewares. Got a specific look. Thankfully, I have a client where I've been able to utilize this to great effect. The investment's far less. It's nearly half um, or a third. But, yeah, there's that.
0: And, and, that, and that's part of it. If you are paying for the Apple name, you are paying for the technology that Apple has put a lot of work into. Um, I, I've, I've been impressed with it.
1: I'm a little worried about how they're producing it so cheap or if they're taking a hit.
0: I have a feeling that, I mean... 299 is still not cheap. I mean, it's it's still a, a good price for a, a tablet. I think they're taking a hit. I don't know this for fact, but my personal belief is they're taking a hit because they want these in schools. They want students using... Because the one thing we both know about Android versus Apple is the OS and locking you into the OS, which is why I used to be a PC user, and now I'm a Mac desktop user and laptop user because I got tired of trying to play in the two different ecosystems. They want people in their ecosystem. If they can lock them into the ecosystem, they're gonna buy an iPhone, they're gonna buy a Mac. And it's just one more way to get people into that ecosystem. So I, I would be surprised if they're not taking a hit of some sort by doing this. Not not that they took a hit when I bought my $700 one myself so it's like I think I might have made up for a couple of students that don't have to pay that much yeah but so it's it's pretty cool news if you're in the market if you're a student and you're in the market for a tablet I highly recommend looking into this and if you get a chance to go to the Apple store and play with the pencil you'll be really impressed with how responsive it is so let's go into our main topic today what is our main topic you already touched a little bit on it but what do you want to talk about
1: Sure. So with all this do-it-yourself stuff and everyone that knows their their niece or nephew that has a pair of a set of crayons um, to make their logo, uh, I want to talk about creative process and kind of the value proposition of hiring a designer, both a web designer, a music designer, a, you know, a, a video designer. Why do we bring these experts in to do the job that Maybe we have a computer, maybe we can do it ourselves. Um, and for example, I have clients that are lawyers, $300 an hour, right? And they want an uh, editable file perhaps for their brochure. And I say to them, well, why are you going to spend two hours on that? It, it's cheaper for you to hire me to do that. Um, so, what is the value proposition for creatives and also what is some of the stuff we do to actually engage with our client to have that creative process? And I've got a few notes about that process.
0: The creative process is definitely something that you really need to lean on when you're talking to clients because it's how you, it's how you develop what you're designing. And I think that you're right. There's a lot of people that don't see what that is because – They see a logo. They don't see the process that goes into designing that logo. Or like you said, they'll see a video online and they won't understand that there was storyboarding, that there was a script written, that there were all these other things that go into it. It's not just slap it together and it happens. So the creative process is definitely something you have to learn. It's something that you develop as you go. And I think that's something that you... For people who are are new to design or uh, coming out of school and going either to work with somebody else or to work for themselves, the creative process is something you kind of grow with as you get more experience. I can tell you that when I first started doing logo design, my creative process was completely different than what it is now. And that's why my pricing structure has changed too, because... I've developed a way of doing it. For example, one of the things I use in my creative process for specifically with logo design is I have a probably about a four or five page questionnaire that I provide the client so that I can get a better understanding of what their business is exactly, who they are personality wise. Because especially I work with a lot of small businesses. So a lot of times those businesses are very much their personality. It's a very much a personally branded business. So I want to get to know what they like, what they don't like, what colors they like, what colors they want to use. Now, all of this information is gathered so that then I can use my expertise to say, okay, this is what I suggest we do. It doesn't mean when the person comes to me and says, I want to use fluorescent pink and teal, that I'm gonna sit there and be like, okay, that's what we're gonna use. No, it's, okay, those are the colors they like, but maybe I need to sit down and talk to them and say, as a lawyer, you probably don't want to use fluorescent pink in your logo. But, doesn't mean we won't, but I think we need to discuss this. So that's part of my creative process, is I have that questionnaire, I get that information back, and then I do other things while I'm waiting for that questionnaire to come back. I'll, I will research their business online. I'll look at their website if they already have one before. Hopefully not. Hopefully they're doing it the other way around. But the other thing is I will look at their competition and see what does the competition have for logos? or What are they doing for colors? And what, what trends in the industry that they're in are there? So I do a whole research Part of my creative process. Um, Following that line, I will. Like, I'm not much of a sketcher or someone who draws by hand, but I know there's a lot of local designers that that's where they start. They start on paper, they start doodling they kind of get their the juices flowing they figure out what they want to do and you'll see some really cool stuff when people doodle like that to to get things going i don't really do a whole lot of that i might do a little bit of it but because i don't have as much of the drawing side of my creativity that's something i don't do a whole lot of but i will do word choice i will do color choice by making lists and just brainstorming and saying okay Everything that has to do with this business, these are the keywords that I think of, or these are the keywords that I came up with with the client. Same thing with colors. These are the colors that are trending for that type of business. And I'll I'll sit there and go, okay, these are the ones that are overused. These are the ones that could be used a little bit more, or these are the ones that are used a lot for these specific reasons. Kind of doing a brainstorming and kind of making lists to kind of get the creative juice is blowing. Um, But a lot of it comes down to meeting with a client, getting to know them, having the questionnaire, doing the research, and this is all before I even get to the point where I use my computer. Like, I haven't even, except for the research part, I haven't really, quote-unquote, designed anything yet. And so that's why it's the value-added part, is I'm not just... Somebody doesn't just come to me and say, okay, it's Bob's Barbecue. I want a logo. And I come back with a grill, the word Bob's Barbecue, and I hand it to them. It doesn't work that way. Like I want to know more about their business so that I can come up with something that's very unique, very specific to them and give them that added value so that their logo can then incorporate into a really strong brand. So that's kind of the start of what my creative process is. Why you, because you do – and I'll, I could go into like how I do it with brochures, business cards. I mean there's all different things that I do and there's different creative processes. But I think the one that people really tend to understand is the logo process. It's more than just slapping stuff together and handing them one concept. There's a whole slew of things you need to think about before you even get to the point of designing anything. But in your case, with what you do, what is your creative process with dealing with presentation design?
1: Um, well, I've worked in the leadership training business for now five years, and I've learned some tools that they teach to convey, um, they, they do deep dive questions, they do open questions, and these are the tools I use actually generally in my creative process. Um, so I, I prefer to sit down with a client um, in person, if possible, or over the phone. And I approach this with a pretty specific process. Um, first is an internal like mindset. Go, going in with a few set questions to, that are open, open-ended to see what your client will say. Uh, we call this process bracketing. You want to basically shelve all of your biases, all your preconceptions. All of your initial thoughts, so that you can just listen to your client. You may hear them otherwise, but you're putting it through your your own prism, your own filter, and you're not actually you know engaging with the client. So you want to listen to them and ask questions that prompt them to speak and listen listen even more. Then you kind of turn that process as you're listening. When they kind of hit a point where they're, um, you know towards the end of an answer to a specific question, you might paraphrase back to your client just to make sure that you've heard them correctly, that you have captured in your notes the key words, things that will become your launching pad for when you're doing your research out there in the marketplace. Um, You want to be observant of your client so that you can be observant later. And you, you do that research In every which way either online using Pinterest boards which I use for my creative process or you go out and you you go to a local bookstore and you perhaps see what the latest latest books and publications are out for that field Um, and then you also want to ask your client to give you some visual aids if they have any Um, links to sites that are you know their competition anything that will help uh, elaborate on what their business is because um, you're you're engaging them to think more deeply about the process I, d- I don't think you'll get all of the answers you want in that initial interview but if they see that you're trying to gain an understanding of their business they're gonna want to offer you more and more information and at that point it's just easier to wean back and, and you know cut away the stuff that is just super philis philious. Is that the word? Um, Superficial. I'll say that. There we go. And and, uh, you get to the real meat of the the project. Now, how that works with uh, presentation design. There are some key concepts and key things that I bring to every presentation design because um, there are some best practices and there's guided learning practices that um, I. There's a book called Show and Tell, and I'll get the title for the show notes, that is an ebook that talks about how to create these presentations that are more sketch-driven, um, more to help elaborate on a story, rather than reading from a PowerPoint slide. I've been working on slides today that have about uh, 200 words on them, and that's not how you wow. want to present, unless right. you're doing a... Um, slide doc, which Nancy Duarte talks about. Another book I'll talk about later. Um, So there are best practices that I try and put into every deck that I'm working with. Um, And those are kind of the framework that helps inform the creative process. I, I incorporate the colors that the client kind of recommends, but I also try and pivot on anything the client gives me, I try and pivot to best design practices that I've developed. And every one of us are going to have different practices, by the way. Um, there are people that develop um, their visuals wholly in uh, Photoshop. I shy away from that. I go to Illustrator because I believe in using more graphical stuff rather than photo- photographic. Yeah.
0: yeah. So. Do, do you... F- when you're doing presentation design, do you look at the end goal of what they're trying to teach to figure out what slides need to be in there? Or do you talk to them about how how they want the process to go through the presentation? Like, what, so what do wh- you look at?
1: When I'm working with presentations, um, there are a few things that I'm looking for specifically when someone's trying to convey... Uh, An idea to a client or whatever first off there are anchoring slides there There's going to be an agenda because you want to help guide your um, Your participants through where they are in the slide uh, Where they are in the learning um, just to keep them informed Um, You also want activities if you if you can somehow incorporate them you got to do a learning moment, and then you got to do like a, a practice because this is one of the ways you can make things stick. So I look to try and incorporate practice after every type of teaching moment. So where I talked about the the modes of inquiry, that's one of the things we would teach, and then we would actually do a listening exercise to see how that might look. look. Um, And it's kind of a one-to-one with an observer on the side. Um, so, the, what the deck will do is it'll um, just have instructions for how that's done, and then people will do that activity either in a breakout room in the session or physically in, in the room where they're, they're learning. As you get through that, um, towards the end of the deck, you want to talk about, um, you want to do a light review. You want to see if people will, do, uh, will be able to teach what you taught them if they're trying to do further skill transfer. And then you want to do action planning. Action planning is an effective way to make people commit to uh, what they've learned. Or perhaps if, if you're trying to convey ideas to, like, say you're an MLM coach and you want to convey ideas to your your uh, subs, you want to be able to have them do some action planning so that you know they're committed to what you've taught them. Okay. So if you want to give them stuff to do that week or that month. Right, um, right.
0: Now, do you find the creative process changes based on the personality of the clients?
1: Yes, it does, absolutely. So there are people that um, love the TED Talk style of um, presentation, and they really don't Truly need a designer all the time for that. Other than perhaps trying to select the right images and help convey um, the messaging uh, visually, it's just it's much more photographic uh, with minimal text. Um, those those people have one way, and then there are other people that want more information, but they also need they want to make sure that it looks good laid out. Um, those are the people I like to work with. And then there are people that we develop the deck together as we're creating. They'll, they'll have something storyboarded. We'll do the full deck. And then we'll go through this hand-holding iterative process, which isn't as bad as it sounds. It's actually, I I, I like engaging um, learning designers and actually helping them think through the process. It's, it's pretty fun. So there are clients that will want to partner with you because they actually see you as the test subject for what they're trying to convey.
0: That's interesting that it's kind of like the the way a client would come to me and say, okay, I, I saw this or I sketched this for a logo idea. Can you kind of go from there and figure out what to do with that? Or you're having people come to you and say, okay, here's – here's a storyboard basically saying how I want to get from point A to point Z in my presentation. And then you can work with them. It's, it's very much the same thing. It's interesting that you, you can have that sometimes. I I find that happens sometimes with logo design, but not so much with a brochure. Mm -hmm. The brochure is kind of like they come over with a pile of pictures and a whole bunch of letters and they just dump it on your desk and go, I don't know, make it look good because they don't have any. They have no concept of what, how it needs to flow and stuff like that. And I laugh because it's a it's a very different mentality when it comes to that kind of stuff. Or even like the postcards I design. They're just like I have this idea, and it's like you you kind of have to pull teeth to get more information out of them. And I think that's the one struggle in the creative process that I've had is having to. Really work with my clients and make them understand that I'm not a copywriter. I'm a designer. You need a copywriter. We could find one, but most of the small businesses I work with have an idea of what they want to say. They're just not sure how to convey that message, so it's really good to like brainstorm with them and kind of get inside their head and say, "Okay, what are you thinking? Sometimes they're completely off the wall, bonkers with their idea, but at least it gives you an idea of okay that's where they're starting from. So you're not starting from a completely different point and then present it to them and they're like, yeah, that wasn't even close. So that's, that's something that I've found in my career is I could sit here and say that the, as you get further in your career, the less chances of having to do revisions. And the reason for that is because when I first started doing local design, I didn't have a questionnaire. So I wasn't getting inside of the client's head. I was coming up with what I thought was best and not necessarily what was best for my client. And so now that I'm uh, several years later and I have a questionnaire and I have a creative process that's a lot more fine-tuned, I'm able to get inside their head and kind of get an idea of what their expectations are so that I hopefully meet those expectations as close as possible the first time I do several concepts so that I'm not way out in left field and they're way out in right field going, you didn't even come close. Because that's the worst feeling as a, a designer is to go through your whole creative process and, and come up with something for somebody and have them look at you like you like you just were not even close. So it's important to to have that creative process. Do you find the same thing since... Like, as you've done this, do you find that you have honed in on better ways to have the creative process work for you?
1: I have. I mean, there are those times, especially in the learning field, where people are trying to revise up until the last minute because it's, they think they have better ideas and they don't know until they actually test. We have this rule of getting 80% there, the other 20%, you know, you'll fill in as you go. Um, And that's true of a lot of projects, but um, I have gone up to 48 revisions on one generation of project, and that's only because (laughs) of the decision makers changing, the client then gets decisions, and then it bounces back to the learning designer, and, you know, design by committee hurts a lot of people, and I think it hurts kittens as well, but... (laughs) um, (laughs) That being said, um, you can get a process that is much more streamlined if you don't mind. Um, One of the things that I think a designer can help finish something or get a project to conclusion is gather as much info as you can and then just present the best college try that you can. Because as soon as a client sees something, they may surprise you and say, there it is. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: you you also have to be careful that
1: you don't present too much. Right. You once they see something on paper like, you know, uh, invitation that you've created, they're like, yeah, I love it. So um, the other thing is um, you gotta back up your decisions. Um, you can, you are allowed to create and then justify your creation with uh, we call it BS but you can justify the creation afterwards because you're relying on your design intuition on some of this so you're making those decisions in your mind for a reason at some point you do kind of have to justify that reason so anytime I'm working with Jake on a logo I send a whole paragraph here's my thinking and here's why and I I hope that helps you sell an idea to a client Yeah,
0: I think that sometimes that's needed, I think, especially with, uh, I I like to present very different concepts, and and that's why we work together, because I may look at a brief and see a certain thing. You may look at a brief and see it completely different, and that I've got other designers I work with that may look at a brief that see that completely different. And by having different people look at the brief, you get different concepts, different ideas, and I think, yes, sometimes I'll look at something. Like, I know there's one specific designer I've worked with that he just loves to do the really abstract and outlandish stuff, and I've had to have him explain it to me because I look at it and go, I don't get it. But when he explains it to me, I get it. Now, is that good? Is that bad? It really depends on what it is. Sometimes that little bit of mystery is kind of interesting and can make a logo really cool. Sometimes it can completely go down the wrong road and and cause problems. So it's good good to have somebody explain that. So yeah, when you do that, it's great because it gives me... Because if a client comes to me and goes, I don't get it, first I have a concern. And you say, okay, I need to step back and say, if they don't get it, then maybe it's not the right thing. But maybe if I explain it, it'll be much clearer. Because we always have that thing where and the way, I, the way I explain it is okay I buy a blue car and you drive down the road and it seems like every other freaking person in the world has a blue car
1: mm-hmm.
0: sometimes you don't see it until somebody puts it right in front of you and really explains it to you and then they see it from then on so it, it is good to have that explanation um, I know you mentioned Pinterest are there any other tools that you use to kind of help that creative process
1: uh, there, you're going to need a tool to map the, um, execute the deliverables. So I would recommend a project management tool. Um, we've talked about right like previously. I'm currently testing uh, Monday for myself as well. Um, you need stuff to create your list of references. And then there, there are mind mapping apps, I believe, and mind mapping like, Programs, software—I don't have any of those readily available. But I just grab a sheet of paper and pencil and just start mapping connections between things, and you get some weird, weird things. But you can definitely uh, find some unique ideas in that.
0: I think some of the tools that I use—my um, phone, 100%. My phone is probably the biggest creative capture tool that i have if i see a font that i like i'll take a picture of it if i see a texture i like i'll take a picture of it because all those things and i and i've even got to the point where you almost do like a mood board when you're working on a project to kind of get an idea of like okay this is what this organization's about and then you kind of put together a mood board that's around that idea It kind of helps the creative process and helps the creative flow. Um, Specifically, and actually I just pulled it up, Adobe Capture is an app for your phone that's specifically for that. It's for capturing um, elements in in your environment, whether it's patterns, whether it's fonts, whether it's color combinations, things like that. It's a really cool app that I've used occasionally but just having the camera on your phone allows you to capture those things um i've even used the recorder on my phone to capture information during a meeting to help that creative process so because a lot of times when you're in a meeting you're just getting a whole bunch of stuff thrown at you and you're trying to figure that out trying to understand it and like you said you're trying to listen well i i use my phone to help me listen i basically say okay I'm going to use that phone as a listening device so that I can then go back to my office, play it back and listen to it again, get a better idea. So I would say the number one capture thing I have is my phone, Um, I've used Pinterest as well, I use Dropbox for for file storage, Um, obviously web browsers, the internet, all of that stuff is part of my creative process, but the number one thing I would say is my phone by far. So what is that you're holding up?
1: so this is my project tracker this is my immediate project tracker so what i'm holding so what up, what is it specifically all right so what i'm holding up is a dry erase board that i picked up at staples and you know it's great because you can just write what you want then get rid of it and then i've got uh six squares on it which are magnetic dry erase metal magnets and it's large enough that I can write my client name, and that's all the all that I need for recall to know what I'm working on. Anything that's placed, and then this is for the D&D geeks out there, this is an in- initiative tracker. This is the way I can order priorities on my to-do list. If it's at the top, and this is wide enough that I can make columns, If it's at the top, it's the hot project. If it's towards the middle or bottom, it's more I'm waiting on client feedback or this is something that needs to be a constant dig into my brain or thorn in my side. And then I can capture some additional notes as I need as well. Like I have one client where I'm doing four different projects with four different departments right now, so I'm tracking those names individually. I just finished one, so I'm gonna eliminate that name from the list. Thank you for (laughs) reminding me. so this is that's pretty cool yeah this is a hack but you know dry erase boards are great for capturing notes doing the brain writing but i also need the mobility of the the projects so that i can readjust my priorities
0: if you don't mind if we could get a photo of that we'll actually put that in the show notes so people could see just exactly what that is that is incredible that's pretty cool Um, i'm a huge fan of dry erase boards as well i have one behind me in my office I have one in my kitchen. I I use them all the time because as much as I can use my phone to capture ideas and stuff like that, sometimes it's kind of cool to stand up at a whiteboard and be like, okay, I'm just going to write everything out that I'm thinking about. And then like you just did, you you can actually cross them off. Because there is something extremely satisfying about erasing something off of a dry erase board when you're done or crossing something off of a piece of paper. The, it, there is a different mentality compared to tapping and putting a check mark next to something digital.
1: Oh yeah, I just took away one name at the bottom because we just finished the project today. I was uh, training some webinar producers and the one one of my top students did it and did it perfectly. I just I was in the background passively and I think she did a great job so that's um, cool and it was the final webinar in the series for the training you know they were doing a live thing with a live client and I had trained them up and done it. And so knowledge is transferred and that project's complete. And that's Very that's cool. awesome because I feel good about having done that work and I can feel good when I they pay the bill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. You always feel better when you get get paid. Let's go into our next section, which is rookie recommendations. What do you have this week? Do you have something?
1: Let me look at my pile. (laughs) Well, while
0: while you're looking, I'll uh, I'll, I'll talk about mine. So my my recommendation is a book. Um, I'm on this kick this year to read one book a month. And I've done really well so far. I've actually, I was ahead about two weeks, which was kind of cool. And then now I'm probably back to, okay, April's coming. I got to do my April book. But my March book that I finished rather quickly because it was really good was Creative Inc. The Ultimate Guide to Running a Successful Freelance Business now as some of you may know i've been in business on my own for eight years so you're probably wondering why is he reading this book first of all this would have been really nice to have eight years ago because there was so much information in here that i had to figure out the hard way so if you're starting a freelance business or starting a creative agency or you're starting your own business i highly recommend that you pick up this book there it is very easy to read it is very well put together um the chapters are great like it goes from what is freelancing exactly to how to deal with taxes how to deal with clients how to deal with uh contracts why they're important but what's really cool about it is in every chapter there's a profile and so they basically ask questions of someone who is a creative, because it's not just designers. Like they, they talk to illustrators, photographers, stuff like that. And so there's profiles in here of different organizations, different people. And they ask questions based on the chapter they're, they're talking about and how they've dealt with some of those things. Um, one chapter that was in here that didn't really involve me in my business was about how to deal with having an agent. So if you're an illustrator and you're making artwork, what would you do to have an agent? And so then they they had a profile in here of an illustrator talking about how what made them decide to get an agent, how they dealt with an agent. And so th- this book just it covers so much. And so if you're starting out and you're, you really want to know what you should do from the ground up, I highly recommend you pick up this book. Again, it's called Creative Inc., the ultimate guide to running a successful freelance business. Definitely recommend this. The link will be in the show notes. Definitely pick it up. So, what is your recommendation?
1: All right. Mine's um, an ebook by Dan Rome, R O A M. It's called Show and Tell How Everybody Can Make Extraordinary Presentations.
0: So, that was actually the one you were talking about a few minutes ago.
1: Yes. So, this one is. Um, Remarkable for anyone that's trying to do presentation design um, it's got some best practices and the layout of the book is actually pretty phenomenal because um, The guy talks about the three levels of um, brand, like your your own personal brand um, Let me see if I can find the page quickly um, And so when when you're talking brand uh you're your own best um, catalyst for you know getting responses. So um, the individual being there, being present and selling an idea just, you know, because you know how to talk through it. The next step is um, sketches because you can create a series of sketches that kind of support your idea and they're organic. They're generated with your client right in the space. Or um, they just you know these are fast sketches kind of like when you do life drawing class they're not meant to take very long and then the third third one is imagery and uh, graphics so like the graphics that we create similar logos but more like iconic graphics these are other ways that you can um, elaborate on an idea and these are much more There are extensions of your brand, but there are also extensions that other people might have created out there in the world that are, they're not necessarily copyrighted, but, um, you know, everyone knows what a presentation icon looks like. It's going to be a a few generic figures. One of them's up beside a board and there's uh, maybe graphics on the board. Um, There's only so many chat bubbles we can create, too. Um, That's why, you know. Uh, or, or thought clouds. Someone used a thought cloud in the PowerPoint today, and I'm like, nope, uh, we're gonna make something a little more unique for that, or we're just gonna make it put in a plain shape, because some of the stuff, it's just juvenile. <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway. That's I'm, cool,
0: so so basically that book is just telling you how to actually, the things to think about when you're doing a presentation design.
1: Yeah, and it talks about how to do a guided presentation um, less about TED Talk type and more like uh, more about convey uh, tran- transferring knowledge type of um, uh, presentations. Okay, okay,
0: very cool. So we'll we'll have both those. Now that's an ebook only, right? Uh, or is a it, physical
1: book. It could be a physical book too, but I needed it okay. when I needed it. I needed it right away, so I got the. E-book. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we'll have the links to both those books in the uh, show notes. You can find those show notes at rookie designer slash RD 156. That's where we'll have our show notes. I think that's where we're going to close
1: off. Is there anything else, Carl? I think that's it. We've covered quite a bit of info. We even ran a little long. I think that's great. <laughs> uh, a lot of good content. Um, and I would love to actually talk to a web designer about their process too because we've, we've covered the print side. I think there's more in the web, web field and video field. Maybe we could learn.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're a web designer and you're interested in talking to us about the creative process, definitely reach out to us. You can reach out to us at show at com, and that email will actually come to us and we can figure out a time that we can have that discussion you can find Rookie Designer online at rookiedesigner.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com rookie designer. We're on Twitter as well as, yes, we're on Twitter as well at rookie designer. And I think those are all the places you can find us right now. The biggest thing is find us on Facebook, get in there, leave comments, let us know what you think. Um, the show, the podcast is actually available on all the podcast apps. I'm actually putting it out on Anchor.fm as well now. So if you're an Anchor fan and you're on there, definitely uh, check us out there. And you can actually call in if you're on Anchor. And we can figure out if we want to use some of those call-ins and how we can do that. So again, it's, it's on all your major podcast applications, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, things like that. And now on Anchor as well. So I think if we're done, just remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star.